took her in just two years old to raise all by himself. He didn't know at that time if it was a job he could do well. Her mother that he loved so much lay buried in the ground. And the man that gave her life never came around. He worked so hard to give her all the things a little girl needs. He never thought a simple smile could bring him to his knees. he ever had and it made him feel so proud when she called him dad when she called him dad it was so sweet when she called him dad he felt complete with her gentle voice she made him feel like deep down inside He kissed her on the cheek as she drove away He waved goodbye Having love and her dreams ahead He hoped it was enough And a broken hearted voice He wished her love She had to claim her own life He did all that he could Unconditional love He finally circumstances out of your control have led you to this fork in the road. How do I get started? How long will the process take? What is the involvement of the biological parents? Do I want to adopt domestically or internationally? Do I want to adopt a child from the foster care system or through a private adoption? 
How much does adoption cost? How do I place my child for adoption? Can my spouse adopt my child from a previous relationship? Can biological parents change their decision and have their child return to their custody? How do adoption agencies work? The questions are near endless. Tonight, this book that we'll discuss will cover these topics and guide you so that you can make the best decisions to grow your family through adoption. You'll be prepared, competent, and confident to make the first step in your adoption journey and with every step along the way. Our guest is Stacy Gleon. She's a licensed clinical social worker in New Mexico and Texas. She has worked in multiple social work settings over the years. One such social work job was with Child Protective Services in New Mexico, where she first professionally learned about foster care and adoption. Stacy then continued to conduct home studies, but this time in the private sector. In 2015, Stacy began working with the military population and found it to be generally mistaken as a poor resource for an adopted family. She enjoys advocating for military families and their job adoption journey. As a Christian, Stacy has found many similarities between adoption and her relationship with God. It is her hope that this book will give you the comfort and competence needed to begin your adoption journey. Stacy loves to hear and learn from adoptive families, so you can email her at stacy.lcsw at gmail.com. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. So kind of talk about um, the journey that led you to getting behind behind adoption and, and learning more, wanting to get more involved. Absolutely. When I first became a social worker, I worked for Child Protective Services, like you said. Um, so that really kind of introduced me to adoption through the foster care system initially, and, you know, learning the the home study process, the legal requirements for adoption, those sorts of things I got to learn. After that job ended, I was still qualified to do home studies, so I continued to do home studies, but I did them in the private sector, meaning children mm -hmm. that aren't in the foster care system that are being adopted. So I, I've just done that over the years. It's been something I've really enjoyed doing on the side. I love working with adoptive families, help answer their questions, guide them through the process, because every journey is so different for people. So it's something I've enjoyed doing over the mm -hmm. years. Can you explain what a home study is for those who might not know what that means? Sure, absolutely. A home study is required for every kind of adoption. So regardless of what type of adoption you choose, you're going to have to have a home study done by a qualified mm -hmm. individual, which is usually a licensed social worker. Um, state requirements vary state to state, but they're all generally pretty same. Usually you're going to have the social worker come out to your home multiple times. They're going to interview everybody that lives in the home, adults, children, if there's any other relatives or people that live in the home. They're going to do background mm -hmm. checks. They're going to ask you about your childhood, your motivation for adoption. Uh, if you've had any struggles with infertility, that will be discussed. It's a really intensive process. It's thorough. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like the vetting process to make sure the family is appropriate to parent a child. So okay. that's the home study process, then, I mean, uh, a report oh, compiled. Oh, oh no, you're so fine. I was just going to say after the home study is done. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> after the, oh, sorry. After the home study is done, the social worker compiles a report. 
um, and that's given to either the judge or to the adoption agency, and that's what they use to, to work towards finalizing the adoption. Sorry. That's so it's it. A pretty, that's no, you're funny. fine. It's, it's uh, <laughs> trust me, uh, always on the on the radio, it's always hard to get the rhythm because we're not obviously in front of each other, so we can't pick up on the social cues of people starting and ending sentences. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the process sounds pretty in depth. Like, how how thorough is it in in your opinion? How how much do they go in depth? How how much? You know, I think it's going to depend on a couple different things. It's going to depend on your home study practitioner just in general. You know, everybody's different, right, and how they navigate interviews or if they have any gut feelings or questions they need to ask. But also states' requirements. Some states are going to be a little more strict or require more than other states. New Mexico requires more than Texas, and I only know that just because those are the two states that I practice home studies in. Um Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're going to go back at least five years on your criminal records um, for every state you've lived in. You know, it's going to check out your finances, um, maybe some previous significant relationships you've had. If you have adult children, they get contacted as well. So there's a lot of different things that looks into just to make sure uh, the home is appropriate, stable, consistent, you know, able to to parent a child and really, there's not major things that would decline a, a home study or make it not approved. Obviously, if the anybody mm-hmm. in the home has some felonies or convictions for crime that's against children, those are things that can't be overlooked. Um, but I've had some yeah. families that maybe have had some financial struggles or different challenges, and some of those things can be mitigated. We all have areas of strengths and areas that you know, we, we maybe struggle a little more in, but that doesn't mean that we can't be good parents. Right. But the bottom line is that these people are, like, vetted pretty thoroughly, and there's not much opportunity for potentially one to fall through the cracks where it's like, ooh, like, that was a, that was maybe a, a mistake on my part or something like that. Right. There's a lot of requirements that try to prohibit that from happening, you know, uh, yeah. so that – yeah, we do our very best, you know, to make a home safe for a child, obviously. Oh yeah. So how many can you can you state how many cases you've you've been in? Oh goodness. I I don't know. Every year is different on how many I do because it's not my full time job. So, you know, I just do it kind of on the side. Um, you know, after the pandemic I it was really busy or even during the pandemic, I guess everybody wanted to adopt during the pandemic, it seems, but I, I don't know. I can do anywhere from ten in a year to maybe twenty. Just kind of depends how busy it is. Um, and adoptions can pick up in different parts. Like there's post placement services, and there's the home study, and there's adoptee counseling. So, you know, I could just be doing a piece of a home study, maybe, or I mean, a piece of the adoption process. I may not be doing every piece of it. Yeah. What's the uh, most fulfilling thing for you? What's your personal takeaway from all this? Um, I love when the families will tell me that their adoption finalized in court and then they send me a whole bunch of pictures on my cell phone of 
you know, them with the judge or them holding the child yeah. that's wearing a shirt that's saying, you know, I'm now officially part of the ex family, you know, things like that. I really enjoy seeing because yeah. it's like, oh, it happened. We made it through the process, all the ups and downs that a family goes through waiting or trying, and and then it's it's official. So that's always a good feeling. Yeah. So there's obviously some benefits of adopting, right? Um, like we won't state the obvious, right? A, a child gets paired with a family, <laughs> but what's some of the right. what's some of the other benefits that you see from adoption based on your experience mm-hmm. um, besides natural? Um, you know, I think there's just, it depends on the perspective that the adoptive parents take with their child. Um, I think it's very important early on for the parents to tell their son or daughter, hey, you're adopted, we chose you, you're special, and create an open Mm -hmm. environment that they can ask questions as they get older, Um, they go through different development stages, and they can feel comfortable knowing where they came from and that they were chosen Mm -hmm. to be adopted. So that is something special, I think, compared to biological children, is there is the concept that I was chosen. You know, my biological family Mm -hmm. may not have worked out for whatever reason, but, Mm -hmm. you know, this couple, this family chose me to be their their family. So it's just a different perspective that we have to take um, so that the kids know that they're still special, they're still wanted, even if it's not, uh, by a biological family member for for whatever reason. Um, and not that it's a, a business transaction, but there are financial benefits for adopting, like adoption tax credits and those sorts of things, which, of course, are very nice because adoption, uh, you know, like childbirth and all those things can add up financially. So that's a nice perk, too, yeah. is that there there are some incentives to adopt either uh, through foster care or through private adoptions. How many um, instances, and I I feel kind of bad because I'm kind of putting you on the spot, how many instances um, do the adoptive children usually have the opportunity to contact their actual biological parents? Well, what's that process like? Well, it's it's up to their parents, right? Legally, their parents are their adoptive parents then. So that's a conversation that hopefully the parents will be having with their adopted children or their children as they grow up. You know, some biological family members, including biological parents, could be very appropriate um, or beneficial for them to remain in contact or have a relationship mm-hmm. with, um, especially if there's maybe mm-hmm. other siblings or grandparents you know, that could be a, a positive relationship for them to maintain. Um, so I think that's it's just a case-by-case basis. You know, some family members gotcha. may not be appropriate or maybe are more difficult for the child after contact. So it, it's really going to be just a case-by-case basis as that child grows up and develops and depending what the adoptive parents tell them. Gotcha. So then what inspired you to write the book? Um let me grab the title real quick. I'm so sorry. I was walking away from the screen. No, no problem at all. It should be so Adoption 101. Adoption 101, The Basics to Begin Your Adoption Journey. So what, what inspired you right. to write that book? What, 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 what made you want to get that out there to, to help others? 
Well, over the years, I noticed there was a big need for information. People wanted to adopt, but they just didn't know how to get started or what the process was or how much it would cost. Did they even afford it? So I was constantly being referred people to just answer their questions. Um, I started holding a, an adoption class um, where I worked, trying to help answer some questions for some families. And it just seemed like it just wasn't enough. So, you know, I thought one day, man, I should write a book, you know, and I guess it was just kind mm -hmm. of in my head, in the back of my head for years. And so the end of last year, I thought, well, I'll start writing it. We'll just see where it goes. And just learned the process to write a book, get it edited, get a cover design, all those little things I never knew, you know, you had to do to write a book. And it, it came along really well. And it's been it's been a fun learning process in that too. Yeah, is there uh, any any thought of releasing a second edition or, or publishing another book, or do you feel like this one kind of covered everything that you want to get out? Um, I don't think I know anything well enough to write a book about a different topic, but. Um, you know, maybe at some point I'll, I'll revise it, maybe update it, or if some families bring up a topic or question that they feel I didn't answer in it, I can put it in there for a second edition. But this just released last month, so uh, hopefully I haven't missed mm -hmm. just too much. You're, you're lucky Yvonne's on here because she would have scolded you very, very deeply for limiting yourself, saying that you, you uh, feel like you can't make something else. <laughs> Yvonne's totally about that. She, the like, the sky's the limit kind of uh, artist. So you can't limit yourself. If there's something else that you feel passionate about, you got to get out there and do it. I, I would really like to read that well, too. Um, awesome. I appreciate the support. Oh, I was just saying I appreciate oh, yeah. her support. You know, it, you know, you always second guess yourself when you're trying a new endeavor and, and it was, it was hard to kind of make sure I'm doing this right. You know, am I the best person to try to answer these questions? But I knew yeah. I had some good answers, so I hope it does help somebody. Yeah, no, I I, I sympathize with that a lot, um, trying new endeavors, because when I started my writing journey, I always said I'm not going to try to just pigeonhole myself into one genre. I'll try every genre at least yeah. once. And so I, I know definitely where you're coming from, where um, the fear of the uncertainty of like, oh, am I, am I worthy enough, I guess, if you will, to, to write yeah. about X, Y, Z, A, B, G, be it fiction or nonfiction. Even fiction can kind of get scary because if you're not right. a devout follower of that topic, you know, the, the fans can pick you out and, and call you a fake and, <laughs> they they know who's actually in it and who's just like, eh, I'll try it. You know what I mean? So I, I sympathize oh, and, and understand where you're coming from. Thank you. appreciate that. Oh, yeah. So turning to another little portion of your bio, if you feel comfortable sharing, if you don't, that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, you mm -hmm. said that you found many similarities between adoption and your relationship with God. Now, what what do you mean by that? What similarities did you find? Sure, absolutely. Um, as a Christian, uh, I believe that we are adopted into the family of God when we accept him as our Savior. So there's always been, growing up in church, there's always been that concept of adoption, and, and there's lots of Bible verses mm -hmm. that I've included in a little chapter there in the book that kind of highlight 
that we are adopted into the family of Christ. And so we are chosen, you know, God chose us to be his son or daughter. And so that's always a very special feeling. And then to correlate it to we are sons and daughters, we adopt, you know, a son or a daughter, you get chosen, you're special. They want you to be a part of your family. So just that connection and that uh, similarity is kind of just what I point out there Um, because it's, it can be a good encouragement for maybe Christian adoptive couples that are adopting, but, you know, they're going through maybe a rough spell with their child who's now a teenager. And, you know, like all teenagers do, they rebel a little bit. But, you know, if they say something like, well, you're not my mom and dad or something very important like that, um, it's kind of a nice encouragement that I've worked with. <laughs> adoptive uh, Christian families have told me they kind of go back to those verses and it gives them an encouragement to be like, okay, you know, this is just my teenage daughter mouthing off right now. Um, I chose her. I still love her. You know, I'm going to give her grace like like God has given me grace. So it kind of gives them encouragement. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to include that in the chapter because a lot of families um, I've worked with, you know, find encouragement in there. So I wanted to include it and pass it on. Yeah, no, I I understand that completely. And um yeah, you you're scaring me with this whole teenage rebellion thing cuz uh you know, Winnie's like right around the corner to to teenage years it feels like some days. So, can't scare me yeah, too much about it. No. No, I know it is alive and well in the Gleaton household too. So, it's it's just one of those <laughs> Parts of life, the developmental stage will all rise through again. So here we go. Hold on. Everybody will be happy again. I promise. There, there will be the I sun know. will shine again. <laughs> one day. Um, one day. So. What is one thing that you believe the adoption? Um, I don't want to say services, but like maybe process is missing. Mm-hmm. And what's one thing they do really good? Hmm. Well, my only experience is with New Mexico and Texas, primarily New Mexico. Um, I think New Mexico does it really well as far as the requirements. There's a lot of requirements, and and they're pretty strict, but I think those are good. Um, I feel that Texas and even some other states of other home studies I've read, the requirements Mm -hmm. aren't as strict. And so sometimes I will get home studies from other families that have moved here from maybe another state and then they're doing their home study here in Texas or New Mexico. And when I read over other states' home studies, I'm like, oh, wow, like why didn't they ask this follow-up question? Or, you know, they totally didn't even talk about this area of their life. So I feel like a lot of things are missing. And, of course, that gives a great opportunity for something to happen and not necessarily like something horrible but maybe the mm-hmm. home study practitioner is missing a question something they could have helped and covered and then it wouldn't have maybe developed into a problem in the future like maybe referring them to grief and loss counseling because they just lost a family member and they're really grieving about it or um, helping them get a referral to early intervention services because maybe the child was showing some delays and they didn't get it checked out you know so sometimes I think New Mexico is, is really good in the thoroughness that they have uh, it, is, mm-hmm. it is stressful and hard on families but hopefully they have a good practitioner guiding them through the process to make it a little more smooth or smoother and not as, as scary for them um, as far as yeah. areas that so, can improve on 
I don't know. I I kind of drawing a blank. It's I think every practitioner well, from, is different. If you've got somebody what, good from doing what, it, from what you right from what you said, I think what we do right is what you said, right? But what we do that could be improved upon is maybe a little bit more standardization, right? It, it does kind of sound yeah. like adoption, for lack of a better term, and I hope this doesn't offend you, is like a hmm. like a lottery where it's like, oh, well, if New Mexico is really, really strict, I know I can go to, let's say, you know, I don't want to say Texas, but I can go to, um, <laughs> I guess, Michigan. Some I'll, other I'll state. point out yeah. my own state. Right, exactly. I can go to Michigan, and I know they're a lot more relaxed, you know. Is that kind of maybe a theme where it's like the more well, children that are in the system, be it? I, I don't think necessarily families are looking for the easy state to go to because, I mean, there are going to be some of those streamlined things that they're going to check. They're going to check background checks. You know, there are some federal laws yeah. that that will be followed for adoption, like the Adam Walsh check, which requires um, checks for the, your states of residence for the last five years. But it is difficult mm-hmm. that it's not standardized. You know, the requirements in Georgia are going to be very different than New Mexico or New York mm-hmm. or Florida. So um, it's – sorry, my family's home now, so we'll see if it stays quiet for y'all. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> if they could standardize all the states, it would it would make the process a lot easier. That would be – and I have a family that moves to Oklahoma – it's an easy process for them to just update the home study. All the same requirements are already there. They just have to update yeah. it instead of looking for new information or vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that too. And I, I'm glad you pointed out that, like, parents aren't looking for the easy way out. I just, I'm thinking in the mind of, of people that when they go through things, you know, all the loopholes, right? They're like, oh, man, if it's easier here, I'll just go here kind of thing. So, that's kind of where sure. I was coming from on that one was, yeah, it was more of a yeah. advantageous, you know, oh, yeah, I could go here and it could be so much more simple. So do, does, um, sure. and I, again, this is just coming from, from my lack of knowledge and understanding, are there yeah, services in place that do follow-ups or do like check-ins like, hey, you've had your adoptive child for you know, two years, right? How's it going? Is mm-hmm. everything okay? And then are there like safeguards in place to be like, hey, doesn't really seem like it's like working out for y'all or hey, you know, another feedback method of like, seems like it's doing really good for y'all. I'm really happy for you. Great adoption story, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes and no. So when a child is first placed in the home, then it kicks off a period called the post-placement services. And this is, this is standard across all states that, as far as I'm aware of. So your typical post-placement period is going to be six months, and that's before the adoption finalizes. So during that six months, mm-hmm. your home study practitioner will visit you, make sure y'all are bonding, that there's attachments there, um, if there's any concerns that seem to be coming up, like maybe some behaviors or developmental delays or, you know, challenges with the baby eating or whatever. That is a perfect time during that six-month period that the home study practitioner can try to make that a successful adoption, whether it's referring them to an early intervention services for the adoptee Mm -hmm. or, 
helping them learn how to bond with a newborn, whatever it takes to make that a successful adoption before it finalizes, you know, at that six-month mark in court. Um, on the okay. rare, very rare circumstances that it doesn't work out, you know, maybe the couple gets pregnant all of a sudden or the adoptee has some medical challenges that they weren't expecting and they're not equipped to happen, then it's called an adoption disruption, and that's when the child is moved to another adoptive home. But it's, it's mm. for lack of maybe better terms, it's not held against that couple that the adoption didn't work out because it didn't finalize at that point. Once an adoption mm. finalizes, that is your child just as it was your biological child. The birth certificate is changed to reflect the adoptive parents as the birth, it'll say mm. like as the birth mom, birth dad. It'll have your names on there. The child's name is changed to whatever you want if you want the child to have your last name, things like that. So once it's finalized, there's not any post-placement services at that time or follow-ups because it's, it's your kid, you know. It, at that point, if yeah. something happens... Um, I mean, I've knock on wood, I've never seen this happen, but let's say they start abusing the child or they neglect, medically neglect the child or things like that, then they're looking at charges from Child Protective Services. You know, it's not just an adoption disruption at that point. It is you're having, you know, possible charges or allegations of child abuse or child neglect if you're not taking right. care of that child that the adoption is finalized. So does that kind of answer your question there, Ian? Yeah, yeah, no, that's perfect. I mean, that's um, a ton of information that I didn't know. So I'm actually going to switch. Yeah, I'm um, so sorry. I can switch. talk forever. No, oh, geez, don't, don't, don't apologize <laughs> because uh, I, I, I like the information and I, uh, I definitely, you know, really value you and support you on that one. So, like, I, I, I know when I brought you on the show that you have, just a wealth of knowledge so like i'm perfectly happy sitting back and just listening to you well thanks i appreciate that and of course if any of the listeners have any questions i mean of course they want to buy my book that's fabulous but they're always able to reach out to me through the email address that you gave earlier to ask me any questions yeah. and if i don't know i'll certainly do my best to guide them to to somebody who does know well and you have a facebook page too that i didn't um I didn't mention earlier, and I apologize for that, but it's Gleaton Mental Health Services, correct? Yes, that is correct. They can look me up there on Facebook. Uh, I really have Instagram, too, but I'm not as good on Instagram, but they can message me on there as well. That's just kind of my professional business name that I I do, home studies and adoption services under. Mm -hmm. You can reach out to me through there as well. Yes. Gotcha. So switching gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about your LCSW, your licensed clinical social work. Um, yeah. I guess work. That's a that's a double work for us, right? Licensed clinical social work work. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. What kind sure, of brought yeah. you? What what kind of brought you into that line of work? Was there something in your life or something that you were interested in that kind of guided you into uh, wanting to do something like that? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, when I was first starting out college, I knew I wanted to help people, but I really didn't know how or what degree. I just I didn't 
I had no idea. So I really enjoyed working with children. So I went to one of the schools that I went to that I attended, you know, a thousand years ago. And I talked to their school counselor there, and I was like, hey, how do I get your job? You know, I'm like 19. You know, I don't know what the crap I'm doing. So she's like, hey, you need to go get a job at this place in town, and it'll give you some experience and give you maybe an idea of what you want to do. So I was like, okay, I can do that, you know. So I went there. I thought it was like a daycare facility, but um, to my innocence, it was not a daycare facility. It was like an emergency shelter for children that we were that were entering the foster care system. Um, so that was okay. a, a real big um, introduction to foster care for me because I, I grew up pretty sheltered in a good, stable family. So it was just a lot of situations and behaviors that I had not been exposed to before. So I learned a little bit about the foster care system, got interested in it, and heard the term social worker and thought, okay, that sounds fine. I'm going to be a social worker, a child protective services social worker. I can do that. So I went to school. I got my bachelor's in, in social work. Um, and then that around that same time is when I started working for child uh, child protective services in New Mexico. And, and mm-hmm. then, you know, kind of like we discussed before, started learning the process for home studies and foster care and that sort of thing. Went on, got my master's degree in license and my clinical license. And it just kind of deepened my experience and hopefully became more and more competent in the field as I've I've grown as a social worker and I've worked in different settings of social work which I find very fascinating whether it's through the school system or child protective services or home health and hospice so it's it's given me a lot of different skills that I enjoy using you know so that's where I that's where mm-hmm. I kind of got into social work if that answers your question yeah, no, of course. Um, and you, it sounds like you were kind of born for it, right? I mean, at 19, not a lot of people are knowing what they want to do or what they want to be. Shoot, I'm 29 and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So um, <laughs> it's really cool that you were, you know, kind of along, like your your path was already made, you know? It, it yeah. sounds like everything just kind of fell into place, which is really nice. I think um, I, I personally connect with that about my writing. Um, I think mm. you don't know about that portion of me um, too much. but I do. I started writing mm-hmm. books. I, I started writing books in about fifth grade. Um, mm. My dad, uh, we, we, we played Dungeons and Dragons, and um, we'd read, you know, these books, and I would just love reading I just tear it up and my dad's like well you Mm -hmm. know you could put that joy of reading into other people with ideas that come from you so Mm -hmm. kind of along the same lines of course fifth grade I was probably like eight or nine um at the time but yeah um along the same lines as you it was kind of planted to me early that hey I really do want to be an author and I do want to pursue a not not a career of it um I think if I did this full-time, I'd probably get really bored and really unmotivated. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. I could write full-time, but at least part-time on the side, when I have time, try to publish some works. And I'm trying to I'm trying to get back into it. It's definitely difficult. 
Um, do you yeah. have that kind of? Do you have that kind of yeah, feeling about your your career and stuff like that? Like, if I wasn't doing this full time, if I was just doing this part time, like, how, how do you feel about LCSW and uh, and adoption, doing the home studies? Like, do you feel like it, it's almost vice versa for you, right? If you did that as a part-time gig, you wouldn't like it as much, or you couldn't find something else to to get enthralled um, in. I just I enjoy doing it part-time. It's a very inconsistent source of income, you know, because sometimes I have more home studies than others. You know, so it's just it's not a stable income. It doesn't have you know insurance or any of those exciting fun things for my family. Right. Um, but I don't know. There's just something where I get to choose whether I, I get to do it or not. I feel like I'm in control with how I work with my families or, um, you know, I'm my own boss in this business, so to speak. But I do feel like, you know, God has created me to do this. He gave me the skills, the compassion, the empathy for for working with families. And I, I do hope that is what they get from me when they you know, utilize yeah. those services. I do hope they find me competent and empathetic and compassionate and all those uh, big social work terms. And, you know, I think we can all relate to when we've had a coworker that you can just tell they don't like their job, they're not good at it. You know, we've I think we've mm-hmm. all encountered somebody like that in our job. And I I hope people think, gosh, man, Stacy's really good at her job. She's doing what she loves and she's really good at it so yeah <laughs> I hope people see that and I'm not oh Stacy you know <laughs> <laughs> well and you, and you brought up kind of a cool uh cool segue point too that I didn't even think about um hmm. you know because I've been through the through the par- the therapy system a lot um mm-hmm. when you're doing home studies and all that because you get to kind of pick and choose and match a person to a home study worker do you mm-hmm. see that interpersonal relationships kind of come into play in the sense of, hey, this person and I have different views on life, different views mm-hmm. on, um, you know, what what it takes to be a good foster parent, and it just didn't work out for us. And you can it, maybe mm-hmm. in a way get a second opinion. Has that ever come up, or is that something? Because I know, like for us, when we when we go through therapy, right? In my experience, you right. You can easily say, hey, as my therapist, you're really not doing it for me, dude. I got to go find somebody else. <laughs> Is that kind of the same with the yeah. home studies, like where where personalities and values and ways of thinking collide? And it's like, you know what? Thanks. No, thanks. I got to go find somebody else. Yes and no. So I, I understand what you're saying. When I've done clinical work as a social worker, I do want to connect with my client to develop that counseling mm-hmm. relationship with them to build rapport so they'll talk to me, they'll open up to me. Um, and I use those same rapport building skills when I do a home study. You know, I want a, a family to feel comfortable with me, um, to trust mm-hmm. me, to understand the process, you know, to not feel like I'm going to tell them about, you know, these maybe uglier parts of my life that I'm not as proud about or this, a previous mm-hmm. relationship I had that didn't go really good. Like nobody wants to talk about the ugly parts of their life, right? So I have yeah. to develop those rapports and connect with people so they know that I'm a human and I'm going to guide them through this process and they can kind of trust me. Um, so that is the time that I use those skills and not that I'm being fake with them. Um, 
I no, don't mean that you're in, trying to in build a way when I'm talking. Yeah, I, I need to connect with them. I need to show them my human side, maybe some share things with them that maybe I struggled with so they know, hey, you know, she's a relatable person. We can talk to her and we trust her and we know that she's going to guide us through this adoption process and right. Those are the times that I use that. No, yeah, I, 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 I kind of see that too. Um, I was just wondering if there was more of a mechanism of like a, a home, home study like match up, right? Where it's like, oh man, you know, this person they really do it for me, but maybe this person, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate you explaining that a little bit more. Um, what, sure. What do you think is the hardest part of adoption for people who don't know that experience? Um, I think it's sometimes just the waiting. You know, a home study can take, depending on where you're getting your home study done, here or where I'm at, home studies can take two to three months, just depending on a lot of factors outside of my control. And then you mm-hmm. may have to wait for a birth parent to choose you. And then you have to wait for the bio mom to give birth. And then you have to, you know, hope and pray that she doesn't change her mind in that first 48 hours before she can legally relinquish her parental rights. So I think the Mm -hmm. biggest struggle with the families I work with is just waiting and not stressing about it and just trusting in the process that it's going to happen at the right time. That's actually an interesting point, and I didn't know that. So the biological mom who gives birth or who is relinquishing her Mm -hmm. rights to her child Mm -hmm. has 48 hours after birth to... Yes, because uh, think about it. You know, sometimes when a female gives birth, they may have some good drugs in their system, right, painkillers, that sort of fun thing. (laughs) Right. So... (laughs) So in order for her to make that decision sober, rested, and make sure she understands those things before she relinquishes her rights, actually some other requirements have to come into place. Um, after the baby's born, she has to go through relinquishment counseling. And actually the bio fathers do too. You know, I think by default we say the mom, but the dad has just as much rights, and uh, we can kind mm-hmm. of dip into that in a minute. Uh, So I'll just focus on the mom for now because typically she's the main, main biological parent we're working with. Um, So after the child is born, she has to have adoptee count, or excuse me, relinquishment counseling. That's going to make sure she understands that adoption is permanent. Once she relinquishes her rights, it's irrevocable. Mm -hmm. She will not have any visitations or rights to the child at all. She won't have to pay child support. She won't nothing. Um, but the same flip of this, you know, flip of the coin, she's not going to have any um, privilege to make decisions for her child. Like once she really questions her rights, she has as much right to that child as a stranger on the street. So they're going to make sure through that relinquishment counseling that she understands 100% what adoption means. Um, and then after 48 hours have gone by after the delivery, at that point she can relinquish her rights and they can be accepted to the court and her rights are over at that point. Um, usually in that 
in between time between birth and 48 hours or, or so, there's usually like a power of attorney in place or something of that sort. So that way the adoptive parents can make decisions for the child like immunizations or circumcision or being discharged from the hospital and being able to take the baby home. So they're, the baby's almost always already with the adoptive families. It's just those uh, parental rights aren't relinquished yet. Now, if for the biological dad, a little different. Um, a lot of times that I've worked adoptions, the biological father maybe is unknown or his whereabouts are unknown um, or he may be incarcerated, things like that. If he can be reached and his identity is known, he'll go through relinquishment counseling and that same process. But if he's not known, he's an unknown person, the attorney will have to do some effort to find him, to locate him, to get his rights relinquished or terminated, even by law. So they do a thing that's called publication, where the attorney will publish in maybe the city that the child was conceived or where the biological father is uh, believed to live. They'll publish in the newspaper and you know, hey, if you have a child with this person, please call the so-and-so law office. They have to do that typically yeah. for about 30 days to publish. Um, if nobody shows up, um, then usually by default, the biological father's rights are terminated. So once biological parents' rights are terminated, that child is considered legally freed for adoption. Hmm. Can, you, can you explain for our, our younger process? listeners... Can you, sure. can you explain for our younger listeners what a newspaper is? I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not familiar with that term either. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it is funny though that they kind of yeah. do that in the in the newspaper. Do they do it in physical print or they do it like via newspaper, physical and digital? Do you know? Um, I'm sure it probably depends on the location that they have. I don't even know if the city I live in has a print copy anymore. But you know, from occasion I right. go online and look at the website for, you know, any exciting news that may be going on in my hometown. So I'm assuming they would at least do it digitally. I don't know if there's a print option. Um, I'm sure they would do it. If if it's available, I'm sure they have to do it. Yeah. So with with fathers, because now that um, you, you keep getting other, like, points that I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about this until we started talking, which is the... The beauty right. of off the chain. I mean, it feels like you and I are just having a conversation, except 150,000 listeners in about 45, 50 countries is uh, intercepting our conversation and, and learning from it. Does it sound – to me, it sounds like biological fathers don't – like, they have rights. Has there ever been, like, a, like a, a contentious moment between – um, biological mom, biological dad, where the mom's like, I want to get this up, and dad's like, nope. And, like, what, um, what comes into play with that? Does the dad get, like, more say, or does the state figure out who's the best parent? Like, what what would happen there? Okay, so I have had that situation happen before because, you know, not every relationship is, you know, Disneyland quality, right? So if if they've had a short-term relationship, one-night stand, whatever it was, and a child was conceived, yeah. right? they both have equal rights as mom and dad. Um, if they, like, let's say mom relinquishes her rights 
that she's fine with her child being adopted. She voluntarily relinquishes her rights. But let's say dad's a little more difficult, and um, he's not father of the year, but he's, you know, he's not going to just relinquish his rights. Then what the court or what the attorney has to do is to move to have his rights terminated, which means they're involuntarily taken from him. But a judge isn't just going to take away somebody's rights because, you know, you don't like them or whatever. The attorney's going to have to prove to you that this biological dad is not appropriate to parent his child. You know, whether it's, hey, he's he's in and out of jail, he's homeless, uh, you know, whatever the circumstances are, every situation is very different. Um, so his rights mm-hmm. to be relinquished or terminated, both of them, in order for a child to be adopted. If one of the parent's rights are not relinquished or terminated, then that child cannot be adopted. The child would not be freed for adoption. So sometimes that can oh, be wow. a really nerve-wracking process for for a prospective adoptive parent. For an adoptive family, yeah, to, exactly. Yeah, exactly, because you may know that a parent – is not going to step up, is not going to be a good parent. It's just, you know, here for the minute, don't go in, you know, MIA is the next. But you still have to prove right. it to a court, and so that can be a nerve-wracking experience. Plus, it can add to your expenses. You know, you're already paying for a home study. You're paying for your attorney to file all these motions and petitions. And now your attorney's going to have to do more work because they're going to have to prove right. that one of the parents is not fit to parent. So it, it adds to your expenses if the parent's not going to relinquish it. They have to build a case. So that adds to yeah. your expenses. Well, that's really terrible, too, because we already talked about it. It's so nerve-wracking for the adoptive family because it's already so time-intensive, in- like, to think that there would be another roadblock to adoption is, is a really um, – I'm trying to put myself in the in the adoptive parent shoes, right? Like that's just mm-hmm. another, 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 another thing that's like, oh man, like I, I couldn't even imagine sure. going through that. Yeah, I mean, you know? while while that is a legal risk adoption, meaning that one or both of the parents' rights are still in place, the legal risk. So that that could be very mm-hmm. nerve wracking to think, wow, what if a parent shows up and yeah, they decide to parent, yeah. which is great. There, there are times that is, is wonderful if a parent it's beneficial, is able right, to parent exactly. and can do it. Sure, absolutely. But there are times that it, it's probably not the best choice for the child. So by all means, that's when, you know, the adoptive parents are just really sweating it out and like, oh, you know, please, please let the court – that this is in the best interest of the child and and terminate these rights. Because once parental rights are terminated or relinquished, you know, you're usually pretty golden for that home study, I mean, for that adoption. There's not anything that can disrupt it. So, you know, until they get those parental rights out of place, um, the adoptive parents are usually uh, a little nervous. Yeah. Well, hey, can you believe that we're at the last 10 minutes of our show? Wow, that is gone quick. You weren't lying to me that it would go fast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, I know. Now now you can tell everyone, hey, when Ian says something, he means it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. All right, I'll stand up. I, um, it's a deal. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. You always threw me out in the dark, but now you're like, you know what? Yeah. He was right. No. That that was my right. whole plan all Fair along enough. was to get you on here to prove you wrong, Stacy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully I did all right. So I... You did perfect. You did perfect. So um, my biggest question is if you ever have another – uh, published work or you feel like you had more to say about the adoption process or, mm-hmm. you know, something new comes out, would you be willing to come back on the show? Sure, absolutely. Or if you find there's more questions that, that your listeners wanted to, to hear about, absolutely bring me on. I'm, right. I'm all for helping families through the adoption process. Yeah, and and other stuff too. I mean, we can always bring you back just to – you know, talk shop and, and talk about LCSW or mm-hmm. or anything. But, uh, you know, we hope that yeah. on Off the Chain we made you feel comfortable, you felt like you're part of our family because that's um, really big on the Off the Chain network is that every person that comes here comes kind of as a stranger but leaves a family for the Off the Chain network. So um, I hope you felt sure. welcomed and invited and you had a good time. And I know on, on behalf of Yvonne, um, I, you know, it hurts my heart so bad because I know, uh, I know you don't know this, but Yvonne is, uh, actually, she used to be a bounty hunter. And so, a what? she, a bounty hunter, like she used to go oh, hunt, a bounty like bail, like yes. bail bonding. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And so like, I know she probably had burning questions that she wanted to ask you tonight. Mm. So if anything, when Yvonne comes back, we'll bring you back, and she can she can grill you on some questions from her experience. Sure. But um, yeah, I love that. And you know, no, we didn't I, even talk about the other perspective of if it's uh, you know a parent that's wanting to relinquish their child, you know, the process for that. So I mean, we can definitely go into other topics next time if you want to have me back. Oh, I'll try to pencil you in somewhere. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. No, but hey, uh, in, in all reality, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, Yvonne and I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate that you're an indie author um, that has made a piece of nonfiction that not a lot of people talk about. Uh, that's the other reason that I brought you on because I knew I don't have your 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 skill set in my repertoire, right? And I knew that that was going to be mm-hmm. hard to fill. So you actually filled a really big gap for us that um, a lot of our indie authors probably have never heard of and don't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. with. So hopefully you coming on the show and you sharing your experiences and all of that might help somebody potentially find their forever child. So I really appreciate you coming on. I know Yvonne will too and sharing your experience and your, and your, you know, your, your art, you know, because it, it is kind of an art, it sounds like. It's the art of relationships. Not only did you publish a mm. book, but, you know, the art of, of getting what's best for the child, right? You kind of have to have a little bit of finesse mm. with that. So I really appreciate <laughs> yeah, you sure, coming on the show. Creating a family. And then, I, I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. I mean, what we always do every night is um, – with the last five minutes before we introduce our next uh, person that we'll have on tomorrow, um, we've obviously mm-hmm. shared a lot of words of wisdom. What what would you bestow on somebody 
regardless if it's adoption related, indie artist related, what's your words of wisdom that you've always kind of lived by that you think somebody needs to hear tonight? Oh man, you put me on the spot. Man. Um, you know, I don't know. My relationship with Christ is the most important thing for me. So I would challenge people to mm-hmm. define that for them, but also to just yeah. do what you love doing. I feel like we're all, all created for a purpose to so find what you enjoy doing um, and and dive into it, whatever it is. Right. No, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this has been Stacy Gleaton, and tomorrow we have Tyler Lambert on the show. Uh, let's let me pull up his bio real quick. <laughs> um, he made military reject apparel, and uh, he has an interesting story about how he made his own clothing line that not only benefits. Uh, the military, but veterans and everybody else that um, touch that that way of life. So um, tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern, tune in right here, and we'll listen to Tyler Lambert and how he uh, created his company. And again, listeners, thank you so much for listening. I know that we've been a little bit um, hodgepodge, right? We've been trying to get a little bit more fluid and a little bit more regular um but in in the honor of yvonne uh and off the chain and and all of you of course uh october is our favorite season it's spooky season so we're going to try to make some more shows um make sure we get some more great indie artists and and creators on here talking about what they do and what they love, which is creating art and doing it a little bit non-traditionally. So, again, Stacey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, and I appreciate everything that you brought to the table tonight. You did really good. And, uh, My pleasure. Tomorrow, thank you, 8 Yeah, no worries. Tomorrow, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, we will be back on Off the Chain. And you know we bring stimulating good conversations to the table, so you will be entertained. I hope uh, everyone has a good night. If nobody else tells you this, we love you. We appreciate you. Keep your head up. You're doing good, and we appreciate you being part of our Off the Chain family. So on behalf of uh, Yvonne Mason, our host, I am Ian Bush, your co-host, and I bid you a good night. Thank you so much, Stacey. Have a great night. Y'all too. Good night.